Hello, and welcome into episode five of the Stomp the Bus podcast. I'm Mark Harris, coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm with my co-host Colton Dodgson. Colton, Mark, how are you doing today? I got to tell you, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, this is always the highlight of my day, getting on here and, and chatting with you, Mark. I, you're just you're just a beacon of light. I don't know how else to say it. You're you're a sun angel, if you will. Wow, a sun angel. That's a that's a great uh, technique we in the biz call a segue into our next topic. Or foreshadowing. Also, what biz? The sports media biz. Is that, that what we're, we're telling te- ourselves? I guess I guess we're not a business because we don't make any money. If anything, we're losing money. To I haven't seen a single check mark. Yeah, check your Venmo. No. Um, yeah, speaking of money, ASU is actually getting involved in the NIL game, or at least uh, ASU fans are getting involved in the NIL game, uh, because two days ago on August 2nd, it was announced that the Sun Angel Collective has officially launched, and this is a big deal. It's 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 just good to officially be, like, in the game, you know, and there's no more talk of, oh, the collective, it's coming together behind the scenes and they're finalizing stuff and this and this and this. It's like, no, they have a website. It's legit. They have a million dollars in funding already, which I was, I was impressed by that, you know, and it goes back to one of our points that we talked about a few episodes ago of ASU is not going to have gobs of oil money like Texas A&M, but to, but to start out with a million dollars already is a really good sign to me. Yeah, one million is a big number, so that seems like a, that seems like a good start. We'll build on that. Astute analysis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, like, I don't know, Mark. It, it's a million dollars. Let's. That's good. I guess let's continue to build on it. I don't know. It's kind of just unprecedented times with all of this nil stuff. My head's kind of spinning. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see what that ultimately leads to in the years to come. It's kind of, I feel like it's one of those things where um, you might not see the effects of it overnight, I guess. Um, You're going to have to wait a little while to kind of see what impact this is going to make. We talked about it a few episodes ago. Some of the players on this team already have uh, the NIL deals, but we're talking places like Burrito Express and stuff. That's what we're starting with. Um, There's a bike is, shop in Tempe that sponsored a bunch of guys. Yeah, too, it's but, obviously yeah. a great start. You know, you got to start somewhere. Um, but I think this is sort of uncharted territory for fans, administrators, players, everybody involved. So everybody's just kind of navigating the landscape right now. Um, and yeah, we'll see what kind of impact this makes down the road. I think once. This this NCAA investigation is is the real cloud hanging over everything because at the end of the day, regardless of the money, it's going to be tough to get young recruits to come in. So right now, hope maybe that while we still have the the transfer portal and we're we're utilizing that to sort of fill out our roster, uh, maybe this collective has some sort of impact on that. But um, I think we'll see the real effects once. We get some sort of resolution with this investigation and we can get back to uh, hopefully building up some sort of recruiting initiative. Again, uh, it seemed like we were well on our way to being 
I don't know, maybe a perennial top 30 recruiting class sort of team. And now we're near yeah. the end of that, that, uh, I guess that leaderboard again. So hopefully this makes a dent in the, uh, in, uh, makes a dent in the mountain that we have to climb in regards to, um, restoring our good name. That's right. And how good it is. Uh, no, yeah, you made a good point there with it's not going to, the effects of this aren't going to be seen like tomorrow or next week. You know, it's, it's, it's about establishing having like an organized one stop shop for fans and rich boosters to donate or put their money into it instead of everything just being loosey goosey and there's no like organization and that's just going to make it tougher. Uh, to donate. But Colton, the reason why I mentioned that I, I'm glad it has a million dollars is because in the grand scheme of things, a million dollars really isn't that much for a like collective to have. I mean, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good amount. I was just like, I don't, I don't really know what, what further I can provide on that. Uh, that's kind of where I was. I wasn't undermining uh, how significant a million dollars is. That is a large amount of money especially when you consider um how hands off a lot of the sort of ASU lifer donors were in terms of not wanting to contribute to the program until they see change that sort of thing yeah yeah to be able to to raise this amount of money considering um the current state of the program is pretty impressive yeah well and and that's a good point um but what I meant by I'm glad it's a million is I'm glad it's not like, oh, we have $75,000 in there. It just looks better on paper for it to be a million, even though if they had like $900,000 in it, like it wouldn't actually really be that big of a difference. But yeah. having a million, like it just, it's a, it's a really good starting point, you know? The two comma club. That's right. That's we're right. Not at, we're not quite at Trace Comas yet, but. Uh... No. I've been on a real Silicon Valley kick, so. Dude, that's a great was, show. That is yeah. a great show. I think, I think I'm rewatching it for about the fourth time and it, I just can't stop. I'll probably do it again in the next, next year or something too. So I feel that. Check it out. We need, we need some ASU, someone, some ASU football fan needs to strike it rich in Silicon Valley so they can just basically make us the next Oregon and just dump a bunch of money into it. That would be great. Yeah, I don't know if we have any Phil Knight-esque prospects at yeah. ASU currently. but uh, Well, one of the things that was really good about this collective is that they're, like, they understand that ASU, you know, doesn't have a you know, long list of donors that are just going to drop millions and millions into it. But... ASU has an enormous uh, alumni base, you know. I think I saw somewhere that it was like ASU has 500,000 living alumni or something. And obviously not all those are even football fans. But that's just such a wide base to get money from. And I'm on the website now, and it's it's got like you can make a one-time donation. You can, you know, you can have a – $10 donation per month type of deal. And so it's like, it's not saying like, oh, you need to, like there's not this barrier to entry, you know? If you just want, like, 
this is great if you just get drunk after a game and like say ASU beats Oklahoma State and you just dump a bunch of money into it or whatever. You just dump five bucks into it because you're feeling impulsive. Like maybe not what I would do, although I, I'll pro, I probably will donate to this uh, at some point once my maybe I have a little bit more spending money to work with. But um, yeah, you'll you'll kill a couple seltzers, feel charitable. I, I you just kind of tipped your hand that that's something you're looking into at some point. So. Freudian slip. They'll they'll know where the anonymous five dollar donation came from. Exactly. But the thing is, like, you get enough five dollar donations and it adds up. And um I like that they have a lot of former ASU pro athletes involved in it. Um in the press release. They have an advisory board uh with Jake Plummer, Brock Osweiler. Uh, Omar Bolden, Jordan Simone, a lot of guys who like really care. And I think it's good to have these athletes on board along with local business owners, you know? Oh yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's where you got to start. Um, and then build out from there, hopefully regain the trust of some of these, uh, these big donors in the landscape, I guess. And right. I mean, you got to start somewhere. So this is kind of a, or you just take the million dollars and develop players. Right, right. That's what you do because that's what ASU thinks is the right uh, step. In this. Hey, well, I, I guess I'm glad that like, obviously the the Ray comments from I think it was like February when he went on. I just didn't realize it was that simple. We could why have I mean. All we have to do is develop players. It's just like that. Snap yeah. a figure, just develop them. I guess the the path is clear now, and it's so great to have some clarity. That's all we have to do. Well, I mean, all joking aside, like it's it's good to have this. Like, even if you're look, even if you're one of the few fans who's actively rooting against this team, it's still good to have this up and running. You know, because like you said, it's not an overnight thing. Maybe who knows? Two years from now, this could have a ton more money in it, and maybe whatever ASU has a different coach and things are starting to roll, and then you can combat uh, players leaving in the transfer portal to go get more money from some other school, you know? And maybe you don't even need to match the offer exactly. Like, if you're a college football player, and let's just say you're starting at ASU, and let's say, I don't know, uh, Arkansas pays, says, hey, we'll pay you, $150,000 a year to be the starting safety for the Razorbacks. And maybe Arkansas has actually a little bit more money. I know Jerry Jones is a big booster for them. Uh, so (laughs) that's gotta help. But maybe, maybe ASU doesn't have exactly $150,000 to spare for, you know, the starting safety, but maybe they can offer a hundred thousand and the kids like, okay, like I can still stay here and make a pretty good amount of money playing football at ASU and sure I wouldn't be at the making as most as I can but I don't have to move I still get to start I'm still with my teammates and all this and it wouldn't be for every kid but I I think that's a that's an interesting um, avenue for this yeah and you know what I think so many people I've heard people who aren't from Arizona or didn't go to ASU Mention the whole, like, oh, you get to live in Tempe as, like, a big sales pitch. I remember when the hockey team came, it was, like, it makes sense for hockey. Like, people 
Dude, no, it makes sense for every sport. But, but check this out. Check this out. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna uh, r- rustle some some feathers here among the ten people that listen to this show. Uh, that might be generous. Um, I would go out on a limb and say that Tempe has become a very overrated college town. From well, what okay, it how? But what I'm saying is everybody uses that whole, you get to live in Tempe. Like, you get the the whole, like, going to Arizona State, Tempe is this great place to be. And over the past couple of years, Tempe has declined significantly. So even that is, like. I guess. But, I yeah, mean, like, I, a lot I, of these I, kids I, are coming from out of state, though. So, like. They don't know that Mill has like hasn't been as good. No, in the but last I'm not week. even talking about Mill. It's just like everything's under construction. It, there's nowhere to even really go. It's I don't know. I feel like everybody chalks it up as ASU being like this great place to be, and I think that's a little overrated now. So I mean, I I I get your point, but what are you comparing it to? You know, like like, you, like I I don't know. I'm just thinking of like what sales pitches people have like tried to rely on in the past and I've always heard people refer to Tempe as like this great place to be when people are trying to talk about like the allure of ASU it's like oh you get to live in Tempe right like I've heard people use that before as like that's going to help us land recruits that's going to we're we're spending way too much time on this point it was kind of just a throwaway point that I'm making Hey, I like Tempe. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of the big – I have a copy of NCAA 07 that I, I picked up for my 360. And one of the one of the big um, points in the recruiting process in that game is campus living. And all I'm saying is uh, ASU might not be very high on that list if it's report, important to recruit. All right? That's all I'm thinking about here. Is, I, is, I understand. Is sales pitch. I guess one thing I, I would agree with you on that is you can't just use oh we're in Tempe as the only thing that you can sell. You know, no, and I don't think they do. I just think a lot right. of fans are like, oh Tempe, Tempe is the place to be. Like that's kind of like how they view yeah. the town, and it's not like that anymore. It's a place that builds uh, high rise nursing homes across the street from EDM venues and. Shuts down every classic bar that ever existed in uh, the the vicinity of right. this campus. So, um, I mean, athletics aren't very high up on the the list of. It's not a, a huge priority. It doesn't seem like to the administration um, at not. ASU. So, I yeah, know. I guess. I, um... In terms of like some of that stuff, I mean, you can recruit around a lot of that. Like, no, no, I'm just, I'm yeah. just pointing out that like, it's not like paradise. No, no, I, and yeah. now, I mean, kind of like segueing away from like, oh, using it as a, a pitch. It's like I, this is kind of a roundabout point to say that ASU has its focus as a university, as an institution. The focus seems to be on things that have nothing to do with athletics, which some of the the things are beneficial, right? Like we talk about the grades and how important it is to have student athletes with whatever GPA and all of these things, which are very important things. But 
that is not the emphasis for a lot of other schools. And I, I don't know. It just, I think we're seeing the same things over and over again with ASU where it's like the things that are important to them, they're achieving. Right. So like where there, there's not the sense of urgency that everybody else is feeling. I don't think on the part of administration. Right. I yeah, agree I mean, with that. So uh, I, I mean the, the temp, the campus and all of that stuff, the Tempe point, that's just sort of the, the tip of the iceberg, right? And right. It's not really like that important to make this place desirable. It's more about appeasing to the, uh, U.S. I can't even remember who votes on it, but whoever votes on the number one in innovation thing, appeasing to right. that voting committee right. is the most important thing to this institution. Student life doesn't really matter. The things that students truly enjoy don't really matter. So, um, putting a good product out on the field isn't as important as all of these kids getting 4.0s, which makes sense. That's an admirable goal. Right. The, uh, absolutely, these kids should be successful in the next stage of their lives. But I, I don't, with this administration, I don't ever expect to see a product that is contending for even like a Rose Bowl seems like the absolute best case scenario, you know? Yeah. So. Well, that would have been last year if it, anyway, not going to get. Yeah, it just mean like any year, you know, like the, right. the emphasis isn't ever going to be on we need to win the Pac-12, we need to do this, we need to do that. Right. It's going to be on like teaching the student athletes how to balance multiple things. That's more important. Going and, and doing well in your classes and also playing a sport is more of like, oh, you can multitask than it is like go out and win games. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I kind of understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's no, not I like, think, like there's there's got to be a cap on any sort of optimism based on the precedent of what we've seen so far. It's it's just, you know, even the best case scenario, which is still pretty cool, contending for like a Pac-12 championship and maybe even going to a Rose Bowl would be pretty sweet. But that I think that's the absolute cap, regardless of where this collective goes, regardless of anything else oh, yeah. that happens. I mean, I don't see, I don't see, okay, I guess my perspective on this is I don't see like, oh, the best case scenario is winning the Pac-12 and going to the Rose Bowl. Like, if the okay, Rose Bowl like is that's still, still really good. If the Rose Bowl is still even a Pac-12 related. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Winning the well, big Regardless, the point remains a, a bit, a New Year's five, New Year's six, uh, bowl game, whatever it is. And I guess that would be cool, but it's, I don't know. I know too many people from Alabama that just talk about national championships. Okay, okay. I'm look. No, I I don't care about Alabama. Like also. No, I know. But when you hear those people talk about it all the time, you're like, that'll never be me. I get. Okay, I mean, I don't. I guess my thing is like, there's never going to be another Alabama. Like ASU, yes, ASU is not going to be Alabama. Like I'm fine with that. Or like a Clemson, or like a whatever else, some other school, a Cincinnati. Something. Yeah. Know, other schools have gotten to that point. Washington made a college football player. Right. Oregon. All of these schools at least get to a point where they are playing for something like massive. And right. we will never get to that point. Well, I it will never happen. Good. Thanks for the optimism there, Cole. <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, my at my most optimistic, I'm like, oh man, maybe we'll contend to win 
the South when there was a South. You know? Right. Now it's like you have to be one of the top two teams out of this entire 10-team conference. And even that, it's like there's two teams gone. It's It should be easier. <laughs> and it's not. Right. You know? So, I right. don't know. It's just a lot, regardless of what happens with any of it, I think. I don't even know. We're not even trending towards the most optimistic outcome either. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess my perspective is, like, you're right with like in terms of like Cincinnati and Washington and getting to the and maybe and I mean maybe the playoff expands and that makes it easier for ASU to go like let's say nine and three and somehow sneak into the playoff if it's like, if it's like a twelve team playoff yeah even then it's like there's going to be a school like I don't know um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here and somebody's probably going to come up with a better example than the one that I'm about to say uh, a UNC a team that plays in the ACC. They beat Clemson or something like that, and they sneak it. It's going to be so much easier for a school like that than ASU. I don't think ASU, even if the playoff expands, like when are they ever going to have that window where they're able to do that? I mean, I don't – This is all hypothetical. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we don't know how much longer, like – There's a very real reality that, like – I mean, I think Michael Crow's in, like, his 60s, so – there's a very real reality where, like, in within, like, five years, and that's a long time, but then football becomes more of an emphasis, and maybe at that point things can you, – you can have, like, a breakthrough-type season, you know? Um, yeah. And, that, and, 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 hey, here's the thing with that. Like, in a few years from now, the NIL collective will have been up and running for years, and you get more and more donations that way, so – I know. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm looking at this, this NIL which is collection. a very real, which is a very like real possibility. Maybe I'm just dumb, and I mean that could very well be the case. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not ignoring that possibility. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens. You know, maybe yeah. I'm stupid. No, no. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm glad it's around. You know, just uh, yeah, it's a step in the right direction. Yes, maybe. yes. The collective and, named after you is a step in the right direction. Right. Well, and one thing you mentioned is, like, oh, the administration doesn't really care. But at least this shows that, like, a portion of the fan base does care, you know? Yeah, like, that's good. That is good. But, yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. It still doesn't it, – it kind of uh, – yeah, whatever. I don't know. It's a good. It's a good step. It's probably yeah. It's yeah, it's not no, it's not like this doesn't like put them like super like super far ahead of where they are now, you know. Right. Because a lot of schools have NIL collective. It's not and not all of them are playing for championships, you know. So there's still plenty of other hurdles to get in the you know get get through. But for me, like I guess this kind like what would you consider to be like a good season for ASU football? Like this season or not? Or like, no, no, not this season. Like in a, just any season. In a normal, let's just say, like the second year of the next coach who's here. Um. Obviously, there's a lot of variables and right. It, whatever and whatever answer I provide is going to be missing, like some sort of nuance or whatever. But of course, yeah. Um, I think I don't know a top thirty recruiting class. And then two years in, they're, I mean, they're starting to develop a team that 
that could win 10 games, like the ceiling is 10 games. Um, and even a higher floor, a, a floor being like seven or eight wins. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Um, so even a, a middle of the road season is like, I don't know, eight or nine wins. Yeah. I, I think would be like a, a best case scenario for what this, what this school is capable of. I mean, the facilities are incredible. Um, it's still a desirable location. I mean, right. whatever comes of this NCAA investigation, though, could change that. Um, I guess our only hope is that the NCAA loses loses its bite, so to speak, right? Um, before they can issue a ruling, because we might still be like two years away from whatever they decide to do. It's been um, over. It, it, it's been like a year and two months since the initial like reporting came out for it. It was last right. Week. So, and, like, it's crazy yeah. how it's taking this long. Yeah, and I, I think something like that, like a, a nine-win season, maybe ten if a bounce goes their way, which I don't anticipate ever happening. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, eight, nine, ten wins, I think, is, is more than yeah. – and a possibility to maybe the playoff expands. And we're talking, like, four or five years down the line or something like right. that. Um, maybe the playoff expands and they sneak in or something, you know, right. whatever has, it's a 18 field, whatever it is, they win nine, 10 games and get an at large bid. And then whatever happens, happens at that point. But I think that could absolutely be a ceiling for this team. Um, but do they, or a, a cape, they could reach that potential, but do they, put themselves in a position where they're able to get there, I don't think so. <laughs> that I mean, is more that is more than fair for them to be yeah. able to pull that off, but you have to make the right decisions to get there, and nothing that I've seen from anybody involved gives me any sort of belief that that it could happen. So Yeah, I understand that for sure. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm kind of on the same page with that. Like I think – just having, just being consistently, like, not having eight wins be, like, the peak of a tenure, you know, right. as a coach. Having it be, like, an okay season. Like, I look at a school like Iowa, and Iowa has some advantages that ASU does not. It has a, a much more passionate fan base. Um, it has probably a little bit more tradition, but not a lot more. But it, the difference is ASU has a better recruiting base because you're closer to Southern California. You're closer to Vegas. You're, Phoenix has a lot of kids. And even if you go to the Big 12, like, that's still all going to be there. Maybe it makes it harder in some areas. But, but and when you look at Iowa, sure, they don't put, they play an ugly-ass brand of football. Like, always bet the under on Iowa because it's just, it's tough to watch sometimes. But they often win 10 games, 9 games, 8 games. And they're consistently been doing that. And is Iowa going to win a national championship? No, they're not going to win a national championship. But having a, like, just being good and, like, being capable of getting to, like, New Year's Six bowl game level, that, I think we're on the same page. Like, that is what ASU should be striving for. And in fairness to Ray Anderson, when he hired Herm Edwards, he said that was the goal, was to be, like, top three in the Pac-12 regularly in the top 15 team. Top 15 team is going to be, Pretty tough to do on a regular basis, but top yeah. three in whatever league that we're in, um, you know it's this, not impossible, this, though difficult. Yeah, 
this tenure is, is so interesting to me because I remember this was kind of like the tail end of my time, you know, around the team and stuff uh, when Herm was hired. Right. And it actually started off pretty promising. You know, they beat um, Michigan State. Was it the first? Yeah, they beat them. Herm's they beat them. They beat them his first and second year. Yeah. 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 So they they start off pretty promising, nationally ranked a couple times. I remember in his first year, they never lost a game by like more than eight or something points. They right. were in every game. Right. And it started off extremely promising, and then all of a sudden, Jaden Daniels' development kind of stalls a little bit. I, I, COVID is thrown into the middle of this, yeah. too, where that probably yeah, that probably made some sort of impact. That's even where the investigation stemmed from was recruiting practices during that dead period, yeah. um, which, you know, maybe there's not an exodus of young recruits. All right. of these things. Right. It, it is a little unfortunate that, you know, this this COVID season was kind of dropped into the middle of it because that team, I, I mean, we saw it in no. that USC game. Yeah. That was a really good team. Yeah. And you give them a full off season to get ready. You give them whatever else would have come in normal circumstances. Right. Who knows what happens? That that USC game, in my mind, for obviously 58 minutes, they won. Right. You know? Yeah. That was yeah. a really good team, 70 to 7. Um, so I think that that season is I, – I said this uh, before last season, they, Utah had the season that ASU should have had. Right. Um, but I feel like that, that COVID year, in normal circumstances, we could have seen an actual yeah. uh, quality yeah. product. And, yeah. and that could have been the season where 10 wins could have easily been attainable. Um so it's unfortunate that it happened that way, but you can't really uh, chalk it up to that, you know. Um, yeah. There's no other school under investigation, as far as I know, for recruiting violations during the dead period. Um, everybody cheats. You just can't get caught, I guess. And unfortunately, yeah. they did. So um, it, it stalled everything out. I, I do think I liked the Herm hire. The first two years were were solid. It seemed like. The trajectory recruiting was excellent. Um, yeah. The trajectory was was pointed upward, and then um, the pandemic threw a wrench in all of that. And now we're kind of in the wake of of the uh, consequences of everything that happened during that. So it's unfortunate, but I don't think the Herm tenure was a complete failure. Um, I don't think Ray Anderson necessarily either is. Um, the person to blame for all of this. I, I, I mean, I think he made a solid hire. Um, maybe Herm needs to do a better job of managing the staff, making sure they're compliant with different regulations. Yeah, like that's that. the, yeah, I just that's think the thing. this is but. a byproduct of such a crazy circumstance that I think because they played football, people forget that 2020 can't be used as a measure of anything. That was the right. last season. Um, and that I I wish we could have seen that team play a full that 2020 team play a full season with regular you know ramp yeah. up period all of that so uh, it's just unfortunate but I don't think this tenure has been necessarily a huge failure I think it's been derailed but that's just my take on it I I I, I so 
I was not a fan of the Herm hire, um, but I'm not. The thing is, like, I didn't expect it to go like this. Like, it, I thought if it was going to be a bad tenure, he would just like it would just be like not winning games. And I guess they haven't won as much as maybe we would like. But it's it's a different. It's unfolded differently. But um, yeah, we'll see where it turns out. I mean, if they if they like you know shock everyone, I, I guess this this season will kind of be the final judgment of it but um before we move on to our next topic i did one thing came to mind as we were talking about like expectations um in terms of winning 10 games like todd graham won 10 games twice you know and todd graham is not the best coach in the world like it's not like it's like you can find someone who's better than todd graham you know look at the guys that he had on his staff though you can go down the list and yeah billy napier the head coach at florida now you've got well he uh, billy napier wasn't on the staff when they won 10 games though that was norvell but i'm saying guys who norvell is another one who went on to coach uh he's at fsu well memphis and then fsu yeah (laughs) um mike norvell's at fsu you got um norvell there was two guys who have very similar names Norvell and Jay who's who's now at yeah yeah he was the Colorado head coach State. at Nevada yeah. at some point yeah um, you've got all of these guys and then uh, Sean Slocum who might still be on the staff I think he I think he is, yeah. the, the turnover but there's a lot of in the the Todd Graham coaching tree a lot of those guys are still not he wasn't on the staff when they won ten games but he worked under I think Napier was even the Billy Napier was even the offensive coordinator at Alabama, or did they hire him from Alabama? I think okay, I think he was. He, I think he, when they hired him, he was the wide receivers coach at Alabama. Okay, yeah, he worked with so, the, the offense yeah. at Alabama, but I mean that is something where Todd Graham had an excellent staff. He knew how to yeah. hire guys. He knew how to put them in positions to succeed, and that's evident by evident by uh, you know Florida State head coach uh, Mike Norvell. Then you got. Florida head coach Billy Napier, all of these things going on. So um, we haven't really seen that under Herm Edwards. We've seen because they're all old NFL guys. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like you, you haven't you haven't really seen Herm's ability. I think that's where he may. I mean Antonio Napier's, Pierce, yeah, is, especially you know, for a CEO style coach whose calling card is supposed to be delegation. To hire the wrong guys to delegate to is yeah. like the worst thing you can possibly do. Well, and that's, I, mean, I think Antonio Pierce had a little run where he was viewed favorably, but I mean, even those defenses weren't that great. Um, Zach Taylor fizzled out. Zach Hill. Um, Zach Hill. Zach yeah. Taylor's a Bengals coach. There's a lot of these names that are similar, um, but I mean, you can go down the list. There really hasn't been a Herm assistant or a, a Herm sort of coordinator, whoever it may be. Um, even Marvin Lewis was on the staff. All these he guys. Is. He still is. Brian Billis. Still is. Okay. Um, like, I mean, all these guys. It's like Todd Graham, for all of his faults, was able to do that. He was that able fair. to find the right guys. He was able to build his staff. Herm hasn't shown that he's able to do that and isn't really involved as much. The one right. thing he's supposed to be doing is overseeing everything. And then you're like setting records for false starts in a game. Yeah. This is where I think the wheels are starting to fall off a little bit. He hasn't put, he hasn't surrounded himself with the right guys for this to succeed. Yeah. 
Yeah, you mentioned delegation in there, and that's the that's the key thing because that's how it all started with the recruiting violations during COVID and right. So like yeah. way too hands off and, and yep. not I mean he, yep. he's like a, a CEO that's just you know working from home and all of his guys have their cameras off. He has no idea what's going on. So right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. Um, it's a good thing that whatever you think about the ASU's, you know, last five years of football, uh, we have a collective now and we've got some big names in it. And look, I'm excited. I get that there's pessimism around the program, but this is a very good step. And hey, it's going to help basketball. It's going to help women's basketball. It's going to help baseball, all these other stuff. So that's very good as well. Um, I wanted to move on to some news. Um, Yesterday, it was reported by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports that the Big Ten has cooled interest in the Pac-12 teams because it was reported last week that the Big 12, the Big Ten might be interested in Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal, but, uh, quote, rights holders were balking at paying the same amount for these, those schools as the same 16 Big Ten schools going forward, 80 million to 100 million. So maybe, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. We could easily see the tweet tomorrow that Oregon and Washington are joining the Big Ten. But I think when it comes to keeping the Pac-12 together, look, you need those schools. You can't, the Pac-12 cannot survive without Oregon and Washington. So um, it looks like for now it's, it hasn't fallen apart yet. So we'll see where that goes. Um. And then some other Pac-12 interest that was very interesting, um, and this was reported. I have the on three page pulled up. I forget who it was reported by, but the Pac- Pac-12 players to become first group to monetize personal highlight videos on Twitter. Um, the Pac-12 partnered with a com- company called Tempus X Machina. Um, it's like a technology company, and along with Twitter. And it's basically giving, letting Pac-12 athletes share their highlights and they can monetize off the interactions gained um, on Twitter. And I think this is a fantastic idea. Uh, in the NIL age, it's innovative, unique, and it's very, very easy for these guys to do as well. Right. And I think the Pac-12 is the only conference that is doing it. And I mean, the first one, yeah. By default, they're the first one because no yeah. one else has done it yet. Uh, which is, I mean, a change of pace from the the Pac-12 is dead narrative. Um, it very well could be, but <laughs> yeah. uh, at least it, it's going down swinging, you know. Yes. Uh, which is good, giving players opportunities to make money um, off of their success on the field is never a bad idea. And the fact that this is the only conference doing that, I mean, is that going to be the case by the time the season starts? Who knows? Maybe there's other things in the works for other conferences. Um, but this is cool to be at the forefront of this, um, sort of set the precedent a little bit, give players more opportunities to make money. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I am, um, yeah, basically like, I'm looking at a little chart here where it kind of explains it, and it says Pac-12 football player opts into Twitter highlights program via Open Doors, and Open Doors is like a big NIL uh, company. Um, and then personal highlight, personal game highlight clip 
delivered via Tempest X, which is the technology company. Athlete adds tweet copy and publishes content. Branded pre-roll attached to highlight clip. Student athlete receives payout. Like, it's this is so easy to figure out, too. The only people that this sucks for is, like, the offensive linemen and, like, interior defensive linemen who aren't going to have a bunch of highlights in games. But, uh, you know, they can get other types of NIL endorsements. So um, I'm glad the Pac-12, hey, maybe this is the last thing the Pac-12 even accomplishes because it disbands soon. But I'm glad that they at least uh, came up with this. I I agree, Mark. Sorry, I'm looking at your uh, your sleeper list of training oh, yeah. camp players to watch, um, and I was reading up on Cam Johnson a little bit. Uh, from October 25th to December 13th of 2020, he had 47 receptions. <laughs> I don't know how many games were played in that span. Uh, well, the SEC played a full conference season, so okay. So I but from 25th to 13th, I don't know, what would that be, like four games? Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. And that maybe five. But still, yeah. that's like almost – that's between eight or ten receptions a game, if not more. Uh, second in the nation, which is insane. That kind of blew my mind. Um, yeah. But then did he not play as a senior? No. So, I, okay. So, I, anyway, yeah, we're getting to this, is that I, I have five um, – Interesting players to look out for at, uh, you know, as ASU training camp is going on. It started uh, yesterday on Wednesday the 3rd. Um, and I'm not going to go with, like, Emory Jones or uh, Daniel Ngata or, like, guys that are just very obviously, like, Kyle Soeli, like, guys that are obviously going to be big parts of the team. I wanted to go for some guys that are a little under the radar but could end up having big impacts. And... um I have Cam Johnson's profile pulled up. It says he's a redshirt junior, so I think that probably means he has two years of eligibility left. Um, yeah, because the I, thing I'm is, the COVID year, yeah. the COVID year like messes up the eligibility stuff, you know. Um, right, but I'm looking at his senior profile, and everything is just preseason. Um, yeah, it's in 2021, so it's not like he transferred or anything like that. I have I his stats. Or, or. No, I have his stats pulled up. I don't know why they didn't. They just have all his preseason awards from last year. But last year, as a member of uh, the Commodores, he had 34 catches for 327 yards and four touchdowns. And that doesn't sound great, but I think what we have to remember is like he's has the Vanderbilt quarterback going to him, you right, know, right. And, like playing against SEC defenses and. You know, and he's at Vanderbilt. So you said you uh, said thirty-four catches. Yeah, and and then in twenty twenty, he actually had a better year. In twenty twenty, he had fifty-six catches for five hundred forty-five yards and three touchdowns. Um, and I, see, I, think, I like I like that touchdown number from last year, especially on like you said, Bandy. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Right, I can't imagine I they were a great offensive team. Um, so four touchdowns by one receiver seems like it, it's pretty high for that team, especially yeah. on 34 catches. That seems like a pretty good touchdown rate for a receiver. Yeah. Um, so that's good. He was obviously a target hog for the end of 2020, which 
I mean, if him and Emory Jones can build up some sort of a rapport in uh, training training camp, is that what they call it in golf? Yeah. yeah. I mean, might as well call it that, fall camp. Yeah. But it's all in, in training camp, the, the preseason, whatever you want to call it, if yeah. they can build up some sort of a rapport, I mean, he's proven he can be a high-volume guy through that span. Um, so those numbers are really encouraging to me. I, I really am excited to see this guy play. Yeah. Well, and what he's going to get a lot of opportunity because ASU does not have a lot of wide receivers on the roster. Um, and he kind of fills a unique spot. Like he's going to be the slot guy. He's, yeah. you know, six feet tall. And that's going to be so important for this team is having good, reliable, like underneath options. Um, because they just need all the help they can get when it comes to the passing game, you know, just with right. how many guys left and Pearsall leaving. Um, right. And, and so. It's kind of a deviation from what they've done in the past, right? Relying on uh, these these big time freshman recruits at receiver. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the class with LV Bunkley Shelton and and I think Elijah Badger was even in that class, who's still at ASU. Um, yeah. All of these guys relying on those guys to develop. Johnny Wilson. And Johnson. Johnny Wilson is another one. Cam Johnson's a guy who I mean, obviously redshirt junior. Has played for five yep. five seasons. This will be uh, his fifth season. Um, four so seasons at least. Yeah. I mean, you're not you're not looking at a guy that needs to develop. You're looking at a guy who's played college football for four seasons. Yeah. Which is a a, a huge, uh, not only a change of pace, but a breath of fresh air when you're used to um, relying on young guys to step up. Versus, I mean, his his ceiling might not be astronomically high, but his floor is much higher than most guys that have played receiver for this team. Uh, that is a very good point. Yeah. So and that's, that's what they need is that, that consistency. consistency. That presence. Yeah. And I mean, look, he, he was playing against the SEC competition with, as part of Vanderbilt, which like, yeah. he's going and outgunned every single week and he's still putting up not like incredible barn burning numbers, but respectable, consistent numbers where maybe having him is the difference between winning a single game for ASU, you know, and that could be the difference of going bowling and not going bowling. So not that that's like the ultimate goal, but for this season, going bowling is a good season, you know, (laughs) considering all the circumstances. So no, I'm excited to see him play. He's he's a guy I'm going to be watching pretty close. Um, Yeah. I I mean, obviously went to Vanderbilt too. Got to be, Incredibly yeah. smart to pull that off. Uh, so bright dude, obviously. Maybe he'll he'll be that presence that they need in the receiver room, and tap into some of those guys that are are still around. So right, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Hopefully, him and Emory Jones get a good connection going. Um, two SCC guys. Hopefully, can tear it up against some weak Pac-12 defenses. Um, but the other guy, uh, the next guy on my little list here is cornerback Isaiah Johnson. He's wearing number zero, which already a fantastic sign. I think any any college player wearing the number zero, you just have a a, a, a leg up in my book because that just looks awesome. Um, the and, yeah. Uh, Johnson didn't do much last year uh, as a – Freshman, I believe. 
Yeah. He's a redshirt uh, freshman. I don't know. So that means last year he was a true freshman, yeah. So he didn't do much last year. Right? What? If he's a redshirt freshman, that he didn't play last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. And the reason I bring him up is because he was someone who – he was their top recruit, actually, in the 2021 class. And the reason that's significant is because – they had four four stars in that class. The other three have all transferred. <laughs> Tommy Hill transferred to Nebraska. Ezra Dotson, Ayotade, I believe that's how I pronounce his name, uh, transferred to TCU, and Lanyada Alexander transferred back home to Washington. Um, but this guy stayed, and I think he might have a chance to play. Um, you know, there's two starting corner jobs open with the departures of Jack Jones and Chase Lucas. Um, this guy, he's not, you know, he's not short. He's 6'1", 190. He's got the size. I mean, there's he looks the part as a, you know, four-star high school corner. Um, it'll probably, I mean, it probably Tamarcus Davis will be the locked in as the first corner because he's got some experience and he's played more last year, but... It'll be interesting to see who is that other corner opposite from him. And Isaiah Johnson, it would be very encouraging um, to see him step up and uh, be that other corner. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's – you said it's some opportunity in that secondary with the departures. So yeah. um, he's obviously got the high school pedigree. Uh, he got that year to sort of get acclimated, maybe learn a little bit to – where to go from there so um good good um i guess it it, it all looks good right now now of course does it translate to the field we'll see but i i feel optimistic he seems like a guy who's going to make a contribution this year so yeah um that'll that'll be good i'm excited to watch him play too johnson and johnson who would the other johnson be uh cam johnson Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't, hey, maybe, yeah, they'll cover each other at practice, Johnson and there you Johnson. Go. There's an NIL deal for you guys. Yeah. Actually, that would be a great idea to have them. Is there like a Johnson & Johnson uh, office in Scottsdale or something? Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Great. I, I won't even take a cut, guys. You. you <laughs> we know you're it. listening. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but the next guy I uh, wanted to take a look at is – Defensive lineman Jaleel Rivera-Harvey. Um, he actually came in in the 2022 recruiting class uh, as a JUCO transfer. Um, and the reason I bring him up is he actually, um, earlier this offseason in May, um, he tweeted out a video of him uh, bench pressing. And Colton, I want you to guess how many times he bench pressed 225 pounds. I'm going to say, and I have not watched the video. I am going to say 34. No, but you were pretty close. 30. Okay. And I'm looking at this uh, article on Sun Devil Source that's kind of detailing it. That would have been number one in the past NFL draft for defensive linemen at the combine. And he's a sophomore. Yeah. The guy, 
UCLA product Otito Ogbania led all defensive players at the combine with 29 reps of 225. ASU nose tackle DJ Davidson had 23 at at the combine, and he was a beast last year and got drafted. This kid put up 30. What was the highest? 29. Okay, so he beat it by one. Still. Yeah, but still, that's insane. So, yeah, and that is – and look, like – Obviously, look, benching isn't the only thing that matters, but I mean, for a defensive lineman, it's a pretty big thing that matters, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, especially, I mean, I, I don't know where they're going to line him up on yeah. the the defensive line. It seems like somebody like that could do some damage, regardless of the package that you run out there. Maybe he's he's rushing up the middle on third downs, destroying some centers and some guards, whatever it may be. Um on any other package, maybe you, you can move him around. I don't know what kind of uh, athletic profile he projects. Is he fast right. enough? Does he have a first step off the line? Right. Um, but that strength, I mean, is a huge asset. Even if he's not the fastest guy, um, using him as sort of a, a, a nose tackle or a defense yeah. tackle, regardless of the technique, um, it, it's good to have that versatility with somebody like that. So um, hopefully he can – step up and play a big role, that strength is obviously an asset. So Yeah. He's listed on the ASU football site as six two, three ten. So got some size to work with. Um and you're right, like even if he doesn't like even if he's not like a great pass rusher, maybe he can just be a you know, fat guy a in the middle and stuff the run. Man. Yeah. Like that's still valuable. I know that like it's not as valuable as it was like twenty years ago or whatever, but Still valuable. <laughs> yeah, Especially and I mean, college. there's gonna be there's gonna be reps where with that level of strength, he just right. could physically overpower a a, a Pac-12 center or guard. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, that's that's definitely an asset. Maybe we'll see some vicious bull rushing. Yeah. Uh, from from Jaleel this season. Hopefully, that's the case. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is a little extra one, but I, I was saw some reports on Twitter of. Another uh, defensive lineman, freshman, Robbie Harrison, is apparently just doing really well at camp. So maybe the staff found two hidden gems in a not very uh, highly regarded uh, recruiting class. So, And if they're on the defensive line, that is fantastic. Like Having a good defensive line in college football can cover Dude, Robbie, a lot. Robbie of Harrison is a monster. 325-6-4 as a freshman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So those those two guys, those two guys could could make some noise. I hope they do. Right. And defensive line wasn't even exactly like an area of weakness on this team either. Um so with you know, with Norman Lott coming back, obviously you lose Lole, but you still have some guys <coughs> sorry. You have BJ Green who led the team in sacks last year coming back, like They've got some guys on the defensive line. Um, right. And then, I mean, yeah, like I, I'm just thinking with Soeli and, and Merlin Robinson and some of these other guys that comprise this this front seven or however many, uh, I guess, guys that they run out there in those packages. Right. It right. seems like they have some pieces to be to be pretty stout in that regard and on the line and um, at the at the second level as well. So, yeah. Uh, that is a, and 
yeah, that's a good area. That's a good area to be solid in because that can just make it takes things. a lot of pressure off of your secondary too. If yeah. those guys can get to the quarterback. Um, obviously, we talked about some guys that can make some noise in that um, in that at that level, right? Um, but if you got a front seven that can get after the quarterback, and we talked about those pieces that could be contributors there, it, it makes the whole defense better. Um, yeah. Which I mean. You got to play complimentary football. You, if your offense goes out there, and I mean, we talked about some of the pieces there too. We've talked about Emory Jones and uh, Zayvon Valaday and Nagata and all these other guys. If if the offense and defense can sort of play off of each other, I don't think we've seen that a lot from ASU. Um, yeah, really ever. It seems like whenever the I'd offense, say like 2014 was the last time it really. Felt yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You don't really see complimentary football from this program. It, it's Usually the offense has a great game and loses 45 to 51, whatever it is. The end of the Graham era where it was just insane scoring. Or the beginning of the Herm era where the offense can score and the defense is fine. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you took – if you just mapped every under during the Herm era, you probably came out on top at the end. Yeah. um, (laughs) I mean, who knows? Maybe this is the year we talked about – high floor guys a lot and I mean with the two their names are already escaping me but the two uh Robbie Harrison and um Julio Rivera Harvey yeah there you go those two guys those two guys are younger guys but um they seem to be the exception on this roster in that regard obviously uh the the corner we just talked about too is another yeah. guy you're you're the name guy so you know who I'm talking Isaiah about. Johnson there you go Johnson and Johnson. Um, the other half of Johnson and Johnson, though, Cam Johnson is another one of those high floor guys that we talked about. Yep. Maybe not an astronomically high ceiling where he's going to, you know, win a Blitnikoff or anything like that, but a guy who is going to be serviceable and probably a little more than serviceable, you know, when we look at the receiver play that we've had from some of these guys in past years. Emory Jones, a proven veteran, played in the AC or the ACC, the SEC rather. <laughs> Um, just so means more. That's what I'm saying is I think so often when we're going into a season, we're looking at, oh, if Jaden Daniels takes this, the, the next step, oh, what if, you know, Rashad White was great, but yeah. what if Rashad White rushes for 2,000 yards? We're talking about so many hypotheticals. In this instance, we're looking at a team where it's like, as long as these guys do what they have already done, they're going to be competitive, which is yes. a breath of fresh air when you're no longer talking about hypotheticals. So Right. Well, and you mentioned with Johnson being consistent. Like, I think he could have ultimately end up having, like, two third-down catches that end up winning two extra games for you. you right, know? and that's, that's and what you weren't getting. It's the little the things. Yeah. yeah. That's what you weren't getting from, from guys like, Johnny Wilson and LB Bunkley Shelton. Those were young guys who were, who were figuring it out. Obviously you can't hold yeah, it against them yeah. too much, but when you throw them in a situation where they have to be the guy, yes. which was the case yeah. when they came to ASU, they were expected to be the guys. They're going to fall short, right? There need, there has to be, be some tough. sort of yeah. an acclimation period. We're now getting guys into this program that have had that acclimation period that have done it before that know what it's like to play college football, understand everything that comes with it, 
Um, and it, the moment might not be too big for those guys. They might, like you said, be able to make that third down catch, be able to, to make that throw with the game on the line, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be possibly the biggest change that we could see going into this season is maybe a more mentally sound team. Yeah. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That would be after the penalties they had last year, that would be. Yeah, it's a very low threshold to clear with how low they currently are. So Yeah. So our second to last guy I wanted to touch on is he is a, another transfer, um, Emmett Boley. Um Emmett is six six, two ninety, and somehow he was playing at D two Northern State um in South Dakota. Started every game at left tackle over the course of two seasons with the Wolves um, in uh, South Dakota. Um, I'm interested in this guy, man. Like he has the he has the body type and the fact that like I get that he's D two, but the fact that they were like, oh, we need to get this guy is encouraging to me. You know, because there are guy there are hidden gems out there. Um, that that doesn't mean it's going to work out. No, but I'm glad that they took a risk on this guy. No, I completely agree. You've got, again, the the maturity, the age. He's a redshirt senior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 6'6", 290, a guy that could probably play guard or tackle. He's got that versatility. I don't know what he played at D2, did you say? I might have zoned uh, out. Uh, I, zone, I zone out most of the time uh, when you're talking more. Yeah. So I'm just kidding. I, I always <laughs> want to hear what you have to say, Sun Angel. That's right. Um, it says here on the ASU site he started every game at left at, at, he started every game at left tackle over the course of two seasons with the Wolves. So okay, yeah. So so profiles as a tackle, maybe move him in, whatever you want to do. But a guy who has, you know, he he's played at a lower level, obviously, but he's done it for so long, and there must have been, like you said, something that they saw in this guy, right, uh, to take a chance on him. Um, so, I mean, he has the physical profile. Everything looks good as far as sort of meeting what we've seen so far from this team in terms of criteria for players that they're looking for, older, mature, transfer guys, that sort of thing. Um, so obviously depth on either line is never a problem. Uh, it can't have enough brutal. of it. Yeah, it gets brutal down there. So even if he ends up being a depth piece, regardless, I mean, He's going to be a welcomed addition either way. So, yeah, yes, I agree. And then our final um, person to look out for at training camp as an under the radar guy it just is froze on you smiling, and it was very unsettling. But continue. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I can imagine that would be pretty unsettling. Yeah. Um. It is anyway. The, the, the final guy we're looking at here is freshman kicker. Yes, I said kicker, Carter Brown. Um, look, I get it. It's weird to say a kicker, but if anyone watched, you know, ASU football last year, the kicking game was extremely inconsistent. Um, I think the the one that sticks out is when Zendejas, who transferred, uh, it was in the second half of the Utah game and. He misses like a 40 yard kick and maybe that 
<laughs> like if he makes that kick, maybe AC, I mean, who knows what would happen, but at least is some little dent in momentum, but instead he misses and Utah just, it's like a waterfall of, uh, momentum against ASU and that, that was all she wrote, but. Right. The reason I have Carter Brown on here is one, he, well, he was named, uh, Max Preps. <coughs> Sorry. He was named Max Preps first team all state in Texas last year. Um, and he was rated five stars by a lot of the major kicking recruiting services. I, so I don't know what that is, but apparently those are a thing. First team all state in Texas, one of the yeah. toughest teams in the country to make. Yeah. Give, give this, uh, member of the media department or the sports <laughs> information department a raise. Wow. I know. Selling them. Um, but I know, but either way, I mean, we talked about complimentary football earlier and um, how important it is to be sound at all three phases. And obviously kicking is a, is a huge part of that. Yep. I mean, if your offense marches down the field, the game's on the line, you need three points to win, you're tied or you're down three, whatever it is, you need a guy who's going to go out there and make that kick. And I feel like the last dude to play at a high level consistent consistently was was Zane Gonzalez and right. it's kind of been a revolving door since then obviously Brandon Ruiz came in and he was I think he spurned Alabama to come to ASU isn't that what happened I don't remember yeah something, something like, that. like that and then he, he transferred he to Mississippi such, State so weird. yeah he was such a big deal when he came in and then I think he got hurt and Zendejas yeah. took over and it was kind yeah. of like where's Chris or Ruiz all of that so it's been Kicking has been crazy. That's the one place. And this guy's a freshman. He made the toughest team in the country to make. Uh, breakout sophomore season, 15 of 16 field goals, and five were from 40-plus yards in high school. That's pretty impressive. Right. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, exactly what you want to see from a kicker. The stage is – but high school football in Texas is a pretty big yeah. stage, too. He was so. playing in Houston, too, like playing big games. That's what I'm uh, saying. So, so that's where you want to see a guy, a kicker come from, right? One of those, one of those stages where, where it might not be that big of a jump to go from that to, um, a Sun Devil stadium that's 40% full by the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, the, it might not, the moment might not be too big, but that, that's the biggest thing, right? You got to see how he performs in those moments. Does he rise to the occasion? Everything like that. From everything I'm seeing on this resume looks like he has the making to do that, but uh you've gotta elevate this position. This position needs to make it back to where it was when Zane Gonzalez was was kicking, right? Right. Um if we if if ASU wants to win games. So complimentary football is extremely important, all three phases. And it's gonna this guy Sound like a coach. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, it's going to rest on this guy's shoulders. It looks like yeah. he's cut out for it, so we'll see what happens. Well, and the reason I brought him, I mentioned him in this, is with the way ASU is going to be playing games this year, like as much like I'm confident that Emory Jones will be a solid quarterback, but they're not going to be scoring 30 points every week. Like They're going to yeah. need to make kicks. Like That is going to be the difference in multiple games that they play this year. And ASU is going to win like – if they're going to win six games, some of those wins are going to be ugly, like extremely ugly wins. 
and you need a good kicker to get that win, you know? And so that's why he's very important on this team because, look, the worse your offense is, the more important the kicker becomes because he can bail you out when you're when the you drive stall stalls the at the 30. Whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, this isn't going to be a high-octane offense, but hopefully it's an offense that can at least hang with other offenses more right. often than not. And right. You said it, a kicker is going to be a, play a big role in that because they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, capitalize in the red zone every time they make it down there, right? right. They're going to need the kicker to bail them out sometimes. So hopefully he's the guy to do that. Yeah. And last year, by the end of the year, they just didn't have any faith in the kicker unless it was like within the 15 yard line. And so yeah. now you're going for it on fourth down when, it's not advantageous for you to do so, and that leads to problems too. So hopefully you can avoid yeah. that. And I don't think the defense is going to be terrible. So kicking, kicking just it's going to be important for this specific team, you know. I and, think I think yeah. kicking like the field goals and it, uh, you know opting to kick a field goal instead of go for it on fourth and two at thirty, whatever. Fans hate to see that, but and it seems so inconsequential to lose those three points. But that changes the entire landscape of a game, especially yep. in the fourth quarter when you're down, you're down nine with three minutes left or ten with three minutes right. left. That goes from, oh, we need to score onside kick or score again to this could be a game winning drive, right? So yeah. it all sort of comes full circle and you need a guy that you have faith in to go out there and capitalize on those points. So. Right, right. And believe me, I don't want them to be going like kicking every time they're on fourth and short. No, yeah. go for it sometimes, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, exactly. don't, don't play too safe. But I'm saying if if you're in a spot where you can't trust your kicker, so you're doing that every time you get to the 30, yep. I, it's going to come back to bite you. That could cost you at least a win, if not yep. more. So. Yep. You're playing with an arm tied behind your back with a bad kicker. So right. uh, that's it for episode five. Anything you want to add as we wrap this one up? Uh, not really. I mean, just keep watching the show. Those of you who are, shout out to yep. the people in uh, the Reddit thread. Um, you haven't downvoted us off of the <laughs> subreddit yet, which is great. We go. Shout out to the guy who said we are, um, I think he said light years better than our first episode or second. Backhanded compliment. Can't remember which one it was. I don't know. Yeah, it seemed like it was supposed to be a bit of an insult. Uh, but I'm not sad, okay? Yeah. You have not, uh, you have not taken my, my happiness from me, guy. So, uh, thank you for checking it out and leaving some, uh, feedback, I guess. It is feedback at the end of the day. So keep, right. keep watching it. Um, but just make sure, uh, you direct all of your insults at Mark. <laughs> iron sharpens iron, baby. All right. Yes. Well, this has been episode five. Uh, thanks for joining in with us and go Devils. Yes.